Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thanks for joining me. Today, we reach into the archive once more, and we go back to a conversation I had with Inga Davis and Richard Aurora, who rebuilt the University of Canberra website in 2008. And 15. We discuss the process of developing a website that is enabled for content marketing that starts with goals and objectives. And we take you through a conversation about a very difficult consultation process that had so many stakeholders and so many potholes, but it's a really fascinating conversation. We talk about training, the introduction of a CMS and how you use templates to bring to life 15,000 pages of content, and how you prioritize design for mobile and for social media. It really is a great conversation. Websites have never been more important online because people are looking for that center of gravity, that single point of truth. So please, Enjoy this conversation with Inga Davis and Richard Aurora from the University of Canberra. Thank you for having us, David. Thank you for having us. Okay, Inga, let's go back. The beginning is always a great place to start. So tell us the story of the day that you pulled the trigger and said, we need a new website. Gosh, David, I think I've I've wiped the memory of that day from the day we actually pulled the trigger to go live <laughs> and the whole experience is behind me, but happy to try and recant today. Um, so this was a, a project that took us about 18 months to get through from beginning to end. I dearly would have liked another six months um, to, to top it off, but 18 months was the time frame we were working towards. And the project came about because the university received some structural adjustment funding from government to look at repositioning the university when they were moving into a demand-driven environment. Um, So we were one of the fortunate universities to receive funding to reposition and one of the... um, goals we put in place was to redevelop the website. So you can imagine universities are quite large beasts, a bit like government departments. You've got many types of um, professionals and academic staff working in them. They've all got their own stakeholder groups. They've all got their own markets and they all have websites pointing in different directions to tell different stories to different audiences. And you can end up with a very confused and mixed message on your website. Um, At the end of the day, we decided that we wanted to put a um, student-first approach forward with our website redevelopment, so took that student-centric approach. And working from there, we said, right, how are we going to redevelop this website? What do we need to do and how are we going to start? So how big a mess was it in when you started? I wouldn't describe it as a mess. I would say... um, And I think the same goes for all websites. Uh, It's you need to stop and spend time cleaning them up and looking at the information architecture and really ensuring that the structure is working to tell a story to your customer base. So we were looking at our clients as our key customer base um, and we needed to ensure that that huge volume, you mentioned the 15,000 pages, that that was streamlined in a way that um, was coherent um, for students. So it, it wasn't a mess, but it definitely needed a good tidy up. 
um, and there were a number of authors responsible for that content across the campus. But at that point of initiation, you didn't have a process for content governance. So there was no way that you were keeping the the hygiene of the site um, in check. I I think that's fair and I, I think that probably goes to the heart of being a university. You have academics who have um, freedom to publish what they like and you've got many service departments servicing all sorts of stakeholders and clients across the university. So um, in terms of governance, the way we do operate and the way we were operating was to have a nominated content author in each faculty, each discipline area, as well as um, the various administrative units. So you we had 250 authors across the university. So um, whilst we use best endeavours to provide training to them in the past for quality of content um, and coherence, you naturally get different authoring styles that come through. Um, it, it's certainly still the way um, we operate the website in the university environment now is the distributed authorship model. Um but in terms of governance arrangements, we've definitely put a policy in place to to bring that all together um, and to put some kind of health check over it going forward. So now we've gone to all the effort to to clean it up. Um, yeah, there's, there's better governance in place. Now. So, Richard, is it your experience, not just with the University of Canberra, but beyond that this practice of having proper governance and structure and process to maintain the hygiene of a website is really a low priority and people really just love to throw the latest PDF up and keep them going until time stands still? I I think it's actually not low priority. The governance has always been established right from the start whenever there is a website in place. At the end of the day, it depends on the model that a particular organisation operates in. And in case of University of Canberra, it is distributed model. And unfortunately, as we get to share the responsibility with other authors across the board, we it is a side effect then as a result the governance obviously takes a backseat in, in the system. But can, but can you in any big organisation that most of them are distributed models for publishing, is there any way that you can establish an effective governance model? I think it, it's not, um, in a distributed model, it's not a uh, it's not a police kind of approach. It's not a supervision kind of approach. It is kind of a help approach where you say, I am happy to assist you and I can guide you towards content writing in, in best practice manner, but you have to come to me for that guidance. You have to attend your training sessions and take them on board when you go and write content going forwards. Yeah. It's an assisted approach rather than supervising approach. And have you found that that works? Uh, It has, yes. So taking a more rigorous approach to the quality message is absolutely essential. So um, I think if you, it it is possible to have a more controlled governance arrangement. If you've got a a centralised structure in an organisation with lots of money to do so, and you've got a team of writers who are writing content to consistent quality standards, but in an organisation where you've got people who have freedom to publish whatever they like, um, you need to allow that freedom to support um, the university environment, um, but it's it's just a matter of putting more rigorous training in place. Um, we also introduce new CMS templates um, and, and new design styles and style guides. So things are certainly looking much better. And with um, with training, you can improve um, your governance around search engine optimization as well, tagging of data and, and that kind of thing. So it's really it's an education process rather than a governance um, arrangement. I'd okay, say. before we talk about the triumph, I really want to get back to the misery of the journey. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) To 
take us back to when you did start the process. What were some of the, the goals that you put in place and how specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and time-bound did you make those objectives so as that you could put yourself on the hook for, uh, for, for accountability? Yeah. Um, well, certainly the, the overarching goal was to redevelop um, the university's website to ensure that the homepage took a student-centric approach. Um, so that was number one. And then cascading from that, we wanted to move the website into a mobile responsive environment and we wanted to ensure that um, the website was compatible and optimised for social media. Um, obviously, with a huge base of our stakeholders and market being students and, and, and staff as well, they're all on social media, so everything needs to be integrated now for our content marketing approach. Um, and I, I, we, we knew that we wanted to develop six new templates within um, design templates that we could use for the homepage, for faculty pages, for a new social media hub. And we wanted to improve search access for courses and units as well to, to improve the customer journey. So to really look at optimising the steps that students are taking when they enrol um, to make life easier for them. Um, and then the other uh, objective we had was to develop a complementary mobile app and, and richer um, was responsible for project managing that as well. Okay, so very quite clear, quite specific. And so from your point of view, Richie, you knew you had the direction. What were the steps that you had to take to start to manage this process? And what are some of the tips that you can share with people about things that they need to do to avoid some of the potholes along the way to a website rebuild? Yeah, exactly. David, so like you said, we have to always start from what our problems are. Where do we begin with before we even get to a solution? So that's exactly what we needed to do. When Inga gave me the brief of the project, it was pretty much everyone is on everyone is a stakeholder in, or for the website in this university, and we've obviously got huge problems that we want to resolve as part of this rebuild. So the approach was actually talking to everyone um, in, this, in in the university, basically all senior management portfolios, interviewing them to hear about uh, the problems that they think are the website and when I started that process the take away from that interview process was that the problems were quite common everyone understood clearly that our target market was prospective students the website should be foremost serving the needs of future students who want to come to this university and there were obviously um, also concerns about how we represent ourselves as a university to anyone other than students as well mm. Um, so we did that interview process to gather feedback first up and then from there on developed scope of things that Inga talked about earlier based on that we need to look at content. Basically, we had 15,000 pages and we knew over time we had a website that wasn't a mess, uh, but it was a disjointed website. It wasn't flowing. The information, the content wasn't flowing from one area to other seamlessly. It was like we're repeating ourselves. Um, from one area of the website to the other area of the website. So we, we, we realised as part of that process that a content audit was absolutely necessary for us before we even take on the journey of improving anything. And we benefited because we still in the office have new wallpaper we from do. that process. We do. We, the web team literally mapped the content wall to wall, yeah, line by line. Yeah, it now serves as a reminder yeah, of, of the fact that we never want to get back there. <laughs> And in terms of that stakeholder engagement, what worked best for you? Um, 
I think giving everyone an opportunity to actually raise concerns because everyone's experienced. They've all dealt with the website in and out every day in their jobs. They're not students, but they've heard problems that students face day in and day out. So it was a really comprehensive process in the sense everyone had an opportunity to bring up uh, the problems that they face. For example, as a project manager, I come in. I am not the subject matter expert. I'm meant to be facilitating that process of where people get an opportunity to talk about their issues and then we go away and find a solution to those issues. And was it face-to-face communication that where you rev- you got the best yes, um, insights? Yes, absolutely. It was. The interview process was face-to-face and I think the other thing that really worked for us in stakeholder engagement was keeping students at the centre of everything. So whatever takeaway we had from um, staff, stakeholder meetings, we took those back to students and said, what do you think about this? Mm. Is this really the problem you're facing here? So was the ratio of consultation weighted heavily to students to continue to get those insights? They were, yes. So we, I think wherever we had a conflict of interest between what staff want and students want, students took the priority and staff were okay with it because they obviously had already said to us that that's what the website should be for and they agreed with that approach. Yeah, so the way we um, went about getting buy-in in in that context was to identify the senior management group and the key decision makers at the end of the day, have them agree to the goals and objectives up front and also to have Richard interview them one-on-one, as she mentioned, to get that feedback. But then we developed the whole testing cycle and workshops with students to find out what their issues were and, and what we were going to do with the information architecture to make things a bit easier. Um, we certainly focused on prospective students so far in this discussion, but also current students and the current student journey, we developed two new intranets as part of this as well. Um, So moving a lot of content into new staff and and student portals so that that information was sequestered and and made easier to access for current students and and captive markets. And that decision was taken off the back of the insights that you gained through the consultation process. Yes, absolutely. So we wanted to keep the corporate page very corporate and useful for people coming into the university but not necessarily current (laughs) stakeholders of the university. And then we, we created the intranets. Um, there were existing intranets, but we improved them and moved the content over into better intranets um, for um, current staff and students. And what about the segmentation of those student audience groups? Because, uh, as you say, prospective students, current students, students from uh, the locals, from the city, uh, students from overseas, students from different countries. What was the process that you used to sort of aggregate these characteristics into personas and how many personas did you ultimately end up with? Um, Off the top of my head, I would say... From a student point of view, we, we had research, postgraduate, undergraduate and University of Canberra College students, so students that were coming into the university via diploma pathway. And then from a prospective student point of view, we had um, senior secondary school students from Lake Ginandera College, UC Lake Ginandera. So and the, their parents. And their well. parents as well, because obviously parents are very critical to the decision-making process for prospective students. So that's about six or seven different personas, and we included all of those students in workshops so that, you know, they're all able to contribute um, in terms of their feedback and about the website. And did you get further down into culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds and those sorts of things? We had- um, I think we had some challenges there. Um, 
I would say, especially because prospective students are students who haven't still come to your university. So we had to target our current students who had just come to the university and had gone through the process to get their understanding of how the process worked for them and did it did the website help in any way yeah. or what were the obstruction. Okay, so the, your top tips, Inga, then, in terms of building out these, these clear audiences that you can aim your content at, what, what's the best thing that you can do to really get those clear insights into the audience? Yeah, well, you need to be working with the marketing team. So understanding who your market are and linking that back to your goals and objectives. Do your segmentation. Um, we did a lot of work around describing the personas with the people, the the vendor who were running the workshops. So we had a vendor that came in and, and redeveloped the website and um, managed the IA process to some extent as well. Um, so knowing who those students are and the type of information you need to get out of them ahead of doing the workshop so that you get value for money because you get lots and lots of feedback and information from multiple workshops and multiple sources and websites are like marketing and you know, everyone's got an opinion about what they like better and what colour works for them and, and the way they use information. So you've just got to take all of that feedback on board and try and make some sense of it. Richard, how, how did you balance the input of qualitative and quantitative data and how did you weight qualitative and quantitative data? Um, I suppose sometimes uh, in terms of qualitative and quantitative data, we did not want to base our decisions on, let's say, a group of stakeholders as such. We wanted a broader, broader picture. So we had to go talk to... We did six workshops, let's say, with 10 students included in each. But then again, do we rely on a data of worth 60 students or do we now keep testing this data with other students? And that's the kind of approach we took. We had we had quantitative data, but we checked quality at every step, basically, by going back to students, other students and talking to them when something was produced. For example, we got their requirements first up. We went and did our designs and then tested them with students again as part of usability testing of the website as well as with stakeholders. So it's, it's I think, um, having several checkpoints at every step of the way helps mm. when you've got such a broad uh, audience. Did you bring forward data from the old website or did you just leave it behind thinking, no, no that's a... You know, that's from the past. We're not going to use that. No, there was a lot of data and we could not leave everything behind. So we have brought, um, in fact, 90% or 80% of the data with us. And we've only created um, thousand, two, sorry, 500 pages uh, fresh as part of the website redevelopment. Yeah. And then in terms of the analytics, we, we had to use that as part of the content analysis process. So looking at who owns the pages, when they were last updated, what kind of content's there, what kind of metadata's there, how many times has it been used. So that's all of the, the kind of yeah. information that went into the analysis for every single URL as to whether we kept it, whether it needed to be here, who the owner was, did they want it. So there was a huge amount of engagement and I think it was across actually the university. Like you said, it was it was a joint effort. So the team was responsible for analysing the data, but we weren't, we weren't the owners of that data. So at every step of the way, we went back to them and said, this page hasn't been updated in five years. Do you think it's still relevant? <laughs> Do you think we should keep it or archive it? Speak now, forever hold your peace. Yes, and a lot of the and times... did anyone say, no, no, yeah, someone's going to hold... Someone wants it. a lot of the it. times, there was, there was probably a quiet about the whole thing saying, okay, we probably don't need it. Yes, yeah. and it's outdated actually, yeah. so we should put it down. And sometimes yeah. people said... Oh, no, it just needs to be rewritten. And they took on that opportunity when okay. asked and rewrote those pages. Yeah, which was a great outcome. It was, yeah. Okay, so we've got 
the architecture, we've got the goals sorted, we've got the audience sorted, mobile. Take us through that challenge. What were the things that you had to consider to make sure that this was a great mobile website? Yeah. Okay, so there were two things going on in parallel. There was the development of a mobile app as well as having a mobile responsive website. So the vendor, so we went through a full-on tender process to select the vendor um, which was ultimately Squiz um, with MySource Matrix CMS um, at the end of the day. So um, we worked with them and in their presentation through um, the tender process, they, I guess, really impressed us with their mobile-first approach and the range of templates that they were able to deliver suited to tablets, um, mobile phones and the website. Um, So, yeah, we, we absolutely took on board a mobile first um, approach. approach, but we knew that I think at the moment about 20% of our users, well, with the old website, about 20% of our users were using we were a mobile device to We already had data to, to prove to us that students are more and more are looking at our website from mobile devices, mm. but they're not getting the experience they no. want. So it was absolutely yeah. critical for and us to follow mobile first approach. Yeah, I'd expect that that will shoot up to uh, you know sixty seventy percent easily yeah. this year. And we know that people use their mobile devices to access websites, and as such, that changes scrolling behaviour. You know, longer websites are now acceptable, um, whereas they weren't uh, a few years ago. So it, it changed the dimensions of the design that we were willing to accept. Um, for the different markets that we were targeting. And so what were some of the threshold questions that you addressed with your vendor provider that were must-haves in terms of development of the social, uh, sorry, the mobile app and the mobile site? So the vendor for the mobile app was different than the vendor for the website, but I think we had to clearly define our objectives for both products, basically. What we wanted to achieve out of the mobile app and who should it be focusing on as opposed to what was website doing. Although they both are serving the needs of students um, in the university as well as other audiences, uh, but we had to state our objectives clearly to both vendors. We did not want a mobile app to be an extension of the website. We wanted it to serve some quick needs that students can use it on the go for things like parking, lab availability information, Mm. staff directory. So that mobile app became current student focused and current staff focused, whereas the website obviously is broader than that. Mm. And in terms of working with vendors, what are some of your what's some of your advice in terms of working with vendors? Um, I think, yeah. And for the record, I, everyone, they're both laughing. We, so, we are, and I we think are, everyone, I think everyone listening to the podcast is probably laughing as well. Yeah, so that's right. I think good. it's it's absolutely critical that the vendor in for a huge project like this, the the big factor in my mind when we were selecting the successful vendor was have they got experience with a project of this magnitude and complexity? If they haven't, you know, we need to really think twice about whether they're going to be up for this and if they actually know what they're getting into. Um, So that was absolutely critical, um, as was the fact that they were bringing a project manager at their end. So I have really learned throughout this process as um, Director of Marketing the value of having an excellent project manager 
and I'm smiling at Richard now. So um, someone that is, you know, qualified in project management methodology, I think Richard uses the Prince2 approach, someone that can be right across the, the documentation, stay across stakeholders, really do the business an, um, analysis as well in Richard's case um, and, and the stakeholder interview. So a great PM, a great communicator is absolutely critical, but that needs to be mirrored at the vendor end as well. And uh, Squiz had a pretty good project manager um, who we were able to work with throughout the project. Um, and, you know, and they, that way you know you've got that dedicated resource that's whipping all of their resources um, into line um, because the project, you know, while it's complex to manage from our end, it's equally as complex from their end, you know, and they're coming at it new, digesting who all these stakeholders are and what's going on with all of this information architecture. So... Yeah. Um, I and I think one key thing I would like to add is because in our case it was the vendor was with um, and they have a magnitude of experience working with universities across the board. So whenever we ran into issues, we always looked at what they did for other universities in a case like this, mm. whether they had directly managed that project or not. They were able to go and talk to their peers and seek that information for us. Mm. And we had some learn lessons learned from previous projects that we could apply to ours. Mm. Okay. Insights around social media and the integration with the website. What did you do there that worked really well? Um, I think one of the things we've done there is we've created our own social media hub. So recognising that our stakeholders are, um, you know, they're, they're all using different social media platforms. Um, in particular, academics are publishing on blogs and in the conversation or Facebook, they're on LinkedIn, they're on Twitter and the university's got corporate accounts as well. So um, one thing that was really exciting that we were able to do was to create this really nice looking social media hub that has live streaming from all of our relevant accounts onto the homepage, um, which really promotes interaction in that way. And in addition, there's this far better um, social media integration on individual pages as well, enabling if individual faculties and, and degree areas and disciplines to channel their own feeds through and, and to really collect details and create subscriber services. And that's all really critical for content marketing. And just to add there, we do have some unofficial channels being used by, let's say, faculties or other areas of the university, but having a cool social media hub, as described by many in the university now, it has just promoted our social media presence and now people want to come to that common platform so they can promote uh, through the, the platform that everyone else sees on the homepage. Yeah, so people like the fact that there they is do. one place and there's a substantial engaged audience yes, in one place. absolutely. Okay, what was the hardest, toughest moment of of the project? Where, <laughs> where did something happen where you thought this is going off the rails? Designs, homepage. The couple actually we can go through here, but I think the first uh, biggest moment we had was with the homepage designs. Yeah. But yeah. I'll let Inga talk more about that. Yeah, so I, I, I do think that... She's out of therapy now. Yeah, that's right. I, I'm trying to reflect back. Yeah, I do think yeah. that that's the case. And, and having in, in advance what your approval process is going to be. So I know of another university in Australia that actually had their senior executive sign off on every single URL and page that was created. Yeah. Um, we didn't go down that path, um, but we did want the homepage to be accepted um, by a few key people um, around the university of 
of course, including uh, the Vice-Chancellor, who's the equivalent of the CEO. Um, so we went through quite a few phases and iterative design phases with the homepage. And I think the challenge is when you're using an outside vendor, you purchase X amount of hours and you might only get three goes to get it right. And we hit our three goes and we still didn't have it right. So we had to look at, well, what are we going to do? How um, many goes did you end up having? I think we probably had four or five. And um, or I'm, six or seven? No, I, I mean, yeah, maybe it felt <laughs> like if you can't a all lot the internal goes we had That's at right. it. <laughs> and, but I think I'm glad we did. And what we did in the end was bring in um, to work with Squiz, our brand agency. Right. Um, so we, because it was absolutely imperative that the design aligned with the university's brand. So they were able to add a new dimension, a new flavour, um, and the outcome was fantastic. You know, we got to showcase all of our new photography and, you know, they brought a new edge to it. So, um, but that was tricky because then you've got a third party. So you're not just dealing with one vendor, you're dealing with two vendors and everyone needs to be available at the same time for meetings and you're working to a very tight timeline and so forth. So, yeah, that was, it was good. Okay, and Richard, your worst moment? Well, I can probably go through a couple here, but I think the 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 good part is we overcame all of them to have a successful story I know, today. Want, I want the I want <laughs> the grief. Um, I want the I pain. suppose my grief was um, <laughs> the information architecture of the website kept evolving. Right. Yeah. Just kept evolving until, you know, one day we just said uh, to everybody, this is the last round of updates. That did not mean it was the last round of updates. Mm-hmm. I was getting updates before go live. Yeah. But you just have to sort of keep... Uh, so every time you thought you had it pegged into the ground, yeah. someone yes, somewhere would say, you haven't thought of <laughs> X. The, yeah. Of this, or this is how it should be. Because that's how I think. Uh, but don't you need to be adaptive and agile and be able to respond to that, particularly if they've got a good point? Yes, absolutely. I don't deny. I think the information architecture of the website is such a thing. It needs to evolve with time. It is still. We are still taking recommendations. We 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 have never. I think we've never gone back and said it is not a good point. We want to take that on board, but we we want to test it. Yeah. We don't want to go make changes on the fly on the website because we will then have a website that can go on the wall again. Yeah. And we do not want to get into that situation. So absolutely, all recommendations that came away, we did not ignore a single one. We actually looked at them and went through the process that we took on board in the first place and tested that with students where we could. But then you run out of time. Projects yeah. do run on time and then you run off out of time for doing that. And I think in the end, everyone was accommodating that we've now reached somewhere and it's not the end of it. It will be evolving as we progress. But I think that's a really good point. These these days, no website, no app, no anything is ever finished. You know, we're in this perpetual state of update, improvement, change, and really trying to sell people that, you know, here's a hard and fast stop Mm. is really not the way it should go. It should always be sold as... Well, this is where we'll get to on this particular date, but that might be where the money runs out. So the you know large amounts of changes, but we can iterate and change as we go. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And Especially think, in the digital space, it's oh. quite imperative to keep reviewing yeah. current strategy yeah. and yeah. goals for and sure. So as you look back, um, a great experience. Do you feel that it was a real satisfying experience? Yeah, a great I mean, professional experience? Yes. I, I feel um, it was a great experience personally for me. Um, as much as I've learned, I've also I've al- I also feel that I've, um, having a successful project like the website project um, 
I, I really felt satisfying yeah. experience mm. was what I would call it. Fabulous. Oh, yeah. And for you, Inga? Yes, I think I'd describe it as satisfying. Um, no, I'm just joking. No, I very. it's one of the projects that I'm most proud of, um, having been involved at with the university. Um, and you can certainly sense there's a real, oh, you know, there's a bit of a letdown. Like everyone, we had the go-live moment was incredible. I was just amazed. So we had about 20 people across IT and the web team present until 10.30, 11pm at night. And there was, you know, a 20 page document with checklists that Richard had prepared. And it was like watching a space shuttle launch to the moon. Inga's words were, spaceship is just about to take (laughs) off people. (laughs) So, and, and, you know, everyone had their part and the vendors had their part and the technical guys had their part and they're switching over and you've got to sort all your caching out and networks and firewalls. And it was just, there is a huge amount of work that needs to be done just to go live. And I think there was such a build-up of adrenaline. Now people are missing the rush, <laughs> and you can people are like, oh, you know, they're ready. The web team are ready the for war the war stories, big are project, all right. <laughs> yeah. um, which is yeah, which is really wonderful um, to have been part of that. So yeah, go live was definitely my hairy moment where. I think as sponsor of a project like this, you have to be willing to draw a boundary around where you're at and say, right, we're going to do it. it. I know that the information architecture, that the stakeholders that want this and stakeholders that want that, but we've got it to a point where we can use it, let's go live and we'll continue to improve because that's what websites are all about. They're they're not static. They're evolving Um, and that's the way we've approached it. All right. Ladies, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Uh, A fascinating chat about something that really is at the heart of content marketing, really the centre of gravity, your website, it sits there. It's where you want a lot of your engagement to take place because it's where you can build your audience. And at the end of the day, that's what content marketing is about. It's about creating and distributing useful, relevant and valuable content so you are drawing people in through your social channels, into your website so they can get a sense and a feel for who you are, what you stand for, and so that they will engage with your story and hopefully you'll get them to either come to the university or to send their children to the university or travel from overseas to come to the university because it's a university that speaks to them through content. Lots of good insights there, I think, around having a great project manager, having a great process and having very specific and clear objectives each step along the way and making sure that you are managing to time, managing to to capability, but being prepared to be agile, to move, to adapt and to change as things change. Because as we go further and further into the digital era, era, we are all going to have to be more agile. We're going to have to move faster. It's all going to have to get changed. So change is the new normal. So get used to that. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.